listening to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. My name is Andrew, and I'm one of the pastors at Mountain Park. Before we dive into week two of our year-end series called Rekindle, I wanted to just share a few thoughts with you. It's been a few days since I preached that message, and it's honestly been quite a struggle since Sunday. I've felt uh, insecure about that message. Um, partly because even while I was preaching it, I felt like it was coming across a very lifeless and flat. Um, Even in my own head, as I was preaching, I was thinking, man, like I'm boring myself here. Lord only knows what everybody else is going through. And so I really have struggled, honestly, um, with how to communicate the content that I felt the Holy Spirit kind of stirring me to communicate. I feel like uh, in so many ways, I I was not able to adequately uh, communicate what he was stirring in my heart. Um, But aside from that, uh, three quarters of the way through the message, um, you're gonna hear in the background a little bit of noise in this recording. And the Holy Spirit was just really stirring uh, a dear woman in our church to respond in real time to uh, what we were talking about. And so in the middle of my message, as she's sitting in the sanctuary, uh, listening like everyone else, she just felt like the Spirit inviting her to to, to move out of her seat and, and to lay prostrate before him and to just really cry out to him in prayer. And so that began happening and you can kind of hear a little bit of that in the background. And so um, you'll hear in this message where I kind of shift and I begin to uh, respond to and speak to what was happening live in the room at the time, doing my best to kind of be sensitive to the spirit and to pastor our church through that moment. Um, which was really profound if you were there, but I recognize that that may not translate well in this podcast. We've left it in and we've left a, a big chunk of our ministry time in at the end as well. So that uh, I guess my prayer is just that uh, through those, especially through those things, the Holy Spirit Uh, just stirs in you a deeper hunger and longing to be a person of fervent and desperate prayer. And so that's my hope and prayer for you. I will submit this to you in humility and, um, and just say, Jesus, would you be the one who brings about the life changing transformation that's possible? It's not my words. It's your spirit in and through us. Amen. Have a great uh, time listening to this and we'll see you next week. The greatest need we have, you and I, whether we know it or not, the greatest need we have is to rekindle and reignite a deep hunger and longing for Jesus. Everything that you need in your family and in your life and in your work environment, everything you need strategically for next steps is actually born out of that place. And so often as 
especially those of us who would say we're Christians or we, we have been in the church a long time, we operate with so much of our spiritual life outside of that hunger and longing for Jesus. We just kind of go through the motions. We get by. We, maybe if we're super keen, we do some devotions, um, read our Bible on a semi-regular basis. We check version and read the verse of the day or we pray for our food or whatever. But our, our Christian life exists primarily in this state of just kind of meh, just sort of blah. And then when the rubber really hits the road in our life and when things really start to get intense, when, when major decisions are on the horizon, when stuff starts to fall apart, we cry out to God and we're like, where are you, God? I don't, I don't sense you. I don't feel like I have leadership from you or direction from you. I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing. I'm not sure what's going on around me. I can't make sense of everything that's going on. And we wonder why. We struggle to sense his presence, to feel his leadership, to have clarity in our life with so many things that we want clarity for. It's because we haven't actually in the hidden times, in the every mundane kind of spot in our life, we haven't cultivated his presence. We haven't cultivated nearness to him. And, and for everything that's coming in our world, the Lord knows what it is. I don't know what it all is, but everything that we are going to face in the coming year, for all of it, for all of it, his presence is essential in your life, in your family, the decisions that you have to make today, the ones that you know are coming a few weeks from today or a few months from today, all of those things, everything that we're gonna need as a church to navigate our culture and the world around us, everything that we're gonna need is found in his presence. And so the greatest need we have is to reignite, to rekindle the fire of his presence in our life. But the baseline of everything we're talking about, the baseline of everywhere we need to go as a church, everywhere you need to go in your family and in your business, in school, all of that, the baseline for all of that is found in the presence of God. So how do we ignite the fire of his presence? I have one word for you today, and that's prayer but not just any kind of prayer. Not just sort of the, the prayer that you pray as you're driving and you, are, you have nothing else to do. So you just zone out and you start praying. That's okay, that's good, it's good you do that. Not the kind of prayer you are going to have in the next number of weeks as you enter the outlet mall parking lot and are praying for a spot in there. That's okay to do that. That's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the kind of prayer that happens in just these little moments of the day, as good as those are, and as much as we need those, the kind of prayer that ignites the fire of the presence of God in our life is a different kind of prayer. It's a prayer that actually costs us something. It's a prayer of sacrifice. It's a prayer um, that, that actually needs to come from the deep places of our life. We're gonna talk about that. This kind of prayer is the oxygen that fuels the fire of the presence of God in our life. 
And so many of us are spiritually dead and anemic. So many of you are existing on barely a flicker. And it's because you have not been fueling the Spirit of God in your life. You've not been fueling your spiritual life with the oxygen it needs to be ignited into something that is powerful. Oswald Chambers says this, prayer is the vital breath of the Christian, not the thing that makes him alive, but the evidence that he is, in fact, alive. So I have four words, and I mentioned these last week. We want to kind of work through them a little bit today. As a structure, a strategy for prayer in your own life, and you can write these down, you can, you can do whatever you want with them, but um, these four words are stop, ask, listen, and obey. That's something that Jesus has invited us to do as a church, but this is not just a church thing. This is like a thing that you can use in your own life as a strategy for how to enter into the kind of prayer we're gonna be talking about today. Too often we spend our time brainstorming and dreaming of and conceptualizing our vision for our life and our future and almost no time in intentional prayer about it. We love to daydream and kind of fit the pieces of the puzzle together and wonder if and wonder what. And we, we love to kind of say, God, what, what would you want to do in my life? But we spend almost no time intentionally in his presence in prayer. So stop, ask, listen, and obey. These are not things that we do while we are just waiting for God to speak. This is the strategy of heaven. This is not what we do while we're waiting for something better to come from God. This is actually the strategy that God gives us to receive divine direction and to rekindle the fire of his presence. As we've said many times, Jesus is our model for life. He is our model for how to live as a human <laughs> under the rule and reign of God. Jesus is our model for life. So what did Jesus do? Jesus stopped everything to pray in his life on a regular basis. Luke 5 says this, Jesus often often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. The, the spiritual atmosphere and temperature of Jesus's own life was fueled by those moments when he would stop, those often moments in his life where he would withdraw into the wilderness, into lonely places to cultivate and stir the presence of God in his own life that oxygen that we need to fan that flame of God's presence, Jesus needed that. He was fully human in every way. Philippians 2, in him humbling himself, he took on every human limitation. And part of that human limitation was that he had to connect with his father in the same way we do. He had to cultivate a life of prayer. He had to stir within himself. He needed to breathe oxygen onto his spiritual life. And he did that by stopping, 
by withdrawing from the noise and the busyness of life, by withdrawing from his current version of social media and all of that stuff, by withdrawing into lonely places to breathe on the spiritual reality of his life. That was the oxygen that he needed. He fanned his spiritual flame in moments of hiddenness and intentional withdrawal. Jesus stopped. I, I just did a, a, a quick sort of summary of a few things that he did, a few ways that he stopped, a few situations and scenarios where he stopped and withdrew to pray and to fan that spiritual flame. Number one, he stopped when he had victorious mountaintop, like Holy Spirit power kind of moments in his ministry. After he fed the 5,000, what does he do? He shoos the disciples away because he knows if they get kind of hooked into the clamor and the praise and the accolades of everybody that's just been fed, the glory of what's happened, they're gonna be in trouble. But Jesus himself, after this mountaintop, miraculous encounter and experience, the, the divine provision of God, the supernatural hand of God at work in his life. What does he do? He withdraws to lonely places. In those moments of victory in your life and in my life, those moments where it's like, yes, things actually, God, you came through. Yes, I can see you at work. Yes, you've answered my prayer. What do you and I do? Do we withdraw and actually fan the flame of his presence or, or do we indulge ourselves in the revelry, the, the greatness of the moment? Jesus intentionally withdrew, he stopped in moments of great victory in his life to recalibrate himself. Second, he stopped when he needed to make big decisions. The calling of the 12 disciples, he was all night in prayer, fasting and in prayer on the mountain in order to hear from God. What, how do we engage in decision-making in our life? Usually we give a few sort of short, obligatory prayers, but then we start planning. We start strategizing. We start assessing the situation, assessing what seems wise, assessing best practice and all of these things. There's nothing wrong with those. What becomes uh, problematic for us is when those become the predominant vehicle for decision-making in our lives. Jesus stopped in moments where he needed to know the wisdom of the Father, he stopped. And in those moments, he was breathing oxygen onto the life of his spirit and the spirit of God within him, his Father's heart. Third, he stopped when he needed to discern what was true. I don't know if you've realized this, but that story where Peter confesses Jesus, your Lord, and then turns around and says, uh, you should never go to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You know that whole thing? That was an interruption in a prayer time that Jesus was having. He was away on his own praying and the disciples came to him, interrupted him. But Jesus needed somehow divinely understood, if he was gonna rightly discern what the voice of his father was or the voice of the enemy was, he needed to cultivate that. He needed to be in those places where he stopped to meet with 
the Father, to fan into flame the spiritual reality of the Father in his life. He stopped, number four, when he needed revelation. The transfiguration is Jesus stopping. What happens, interestingly, in the transfiguration? Moses and Elijah show up, and they begin to speak with Jesus about what is going to take place. So not only is is he kind of, uh, not only does this kind of powerful thing happen to him that the disciples see, but Jesus himself receives revelation from the Father about what was going to take place and what he would need to do, how he would best prepare. And lastly, he stopped when he was going into spiritual battle, the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane was not uh, an an irregular prayer time for Jesus. That was not an unusual event in his life. Knowing everything that was coming that weekend, Jesus knew he needed to cultivate and to stir and to fan into flame the presence of his Father in his life. So he stopped as he was heading into battle. He stopped. Stopping is not what we do while we wait for what is to come. Stopping is the strategy. Stopping is the strategy of heaven for how to rekindle and reignite the flame of God's presence in our lives. Not only did Jesus practice this, not only did he model stopping everything to pray, but he instructed his disciples to stop and wait and pray. That's what happens at the beginning of the book of Acts. Stop and wait in the city. For what? You'll know, you'll see. That that time period of the disciples waiting and praying in the upper room was the oxygen that lit the flame of the Spirit's presence on the earth. Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. That Acts 2 moment was after many, many days of meeting in prayer, stopping everything that was going on in their life to wait on Jesus, to wait on the Father. That was the oxygen that they needed in that room to light that flame of the Spirit's presence. So how much more then do we need to stop? So the kind of prayer that ignites a a deep, a passion for Jesus, ignites the Spirit's flame in our life is not the kind of prayer we just slide into the cracks of our day. It's the kind of prayer that's inconvenient. It's the kind of prayer that messes with our schedule. It's the kind of prayer that costs something. 
you know, we can pray all day and we should. We should be praying and talking with Jesus all the time. But how much of your prayer life is an interruption into what you'd rather be doing? How much of your prayer life is actually feels inconvenient and counterproductive to the day that you have mapped out before you? How much of your prayer life seems to you to be a sacrifice? How much of it is actually come with struggle? How much of your prayer life costs you something? We're really good at meeting with Jesus when it's convenient for us, when we're just going about our day. But how much do you actually stop? Do you put your whole day on hold or your whole life on hold in order to cultivate the presence of God? That was the practice of Jesus. Any earthly ministry that he did was fueled out of that place, out of that place that came in hidden and secret and lonely places in the wilderness. Is your prayer life the kind of prayer life that costs you something? The kind of prayer that requires sacrifice, the kind of prayer that's inconvenient and comes with a cost, the kind of prayer that ignites God's presence, the fire of his spirit in us will always cost us something. Why? That's the definition of an offering. An offering must cost you something. In 2 Samuel at the very end, King David said this line. He said, I will not offer God something that has cost me nothing. And yet in my own life, maybe yours too, so much of my spiritual life costs me nothing. Costs me nothing. I just fit it into the cracks. But the kind of prayer life that ignites the, the, the presence of God in our life, that, that lights us on fire, is a prayer life that costs us something. That's why we're going to uh, be praying next week before worship night. That's why for, I don't know how long we've done it, we pray every, the last Monday, uh, first Monday of every uh, month as a church. But it doesn't matter how many people are here, but that's a good barometer of the spiritual life of our church. And there's like 20 people that show up usually. That is the barometer of spiritual health in our church, not this. I want to invite you into a different kind of prayer life. Again, we read this last week, Leviticus 6. Remember the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. That's speaking of the temple and tabernacle system. But Paul says something similar in Romans 12. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Your bodies equals your time. Your bodies equals your energy, your emotion, your heart, your, your capacity. It's not just like some weird ethereal. It, your bodies is like, hey, God, I'm going to give you the best of my day. I'm going to give you this time. I'm going to be willing to interrupt my life in order to be with you. And Paul continues, let them your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What kind of offerings 
do you bring God in your life? What are the offerings that you're bringing him? So often we want God in our best moments, we want him to rekindle this spiritual fervor and fire, but, but we've got nothing on the altar to offer him. We're not surrendering anything. We're not sacrificing. It doesn't cost us anything. And so we wonder why we have this kind of blah faith. Because we haven't actually been cultivating anything. So I just have a question. What has your prayer life cost you recently? I can think of so many examples in my own life of where I get excited to pray about something and then very quickly I move on because I'm discouraged or disappointed or God doesn't answer the way I want or whatever. And so I just take my foot off the gas and I move on. But that's not the kind of prayer life that costs me something. That's the easy way. What are the things that you've stopped praying for because you just feel like, well, I tried that. I prayed like that really hard for a week or a month and you've just moved on. What are the things in the life of our church that we've just stopped leaning into God with? So Jesus models for us a need to stop to interrupt our life in order to cultivate and to rekindle the Spirit's presence. The second thing is asking. Jesus is our model for how to ask. His, mark, or his prayer life, Jesus' prayer life, was marked by fervent desperation. So you want to know the kind of prayer life that breathes oxygen, like a, a bellows in a, you know, blacksmith shop, the kind of prayer life that breathes oxygen onto your spiritual life, it's this, Hebrews 5, 7 and 8. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Do you see here the connection between obedience and suffering in prayer? When is the last time your prayer life could be characterized by pleading with tears and groans that, that words can't express? When was the last time you came before God in that way with total desperation and brokenness and humility, crying out to him, like literally crying out to him. Our prayers are so anemic and unpowerful because we're so polite and, and proper with them. We're so calculated with them. You know, God, would you just do this according to your word? And would you just do that according to your word? And I really need help with this. And I really need help with that. That wasn't Jesus's prayer life. His prayer life was characterized by stopping, withdrawing into lonely places and pouring his heart out to his father groaning and crying and weeping for the realities that he saw around him, weeping so that the heart of God could be fulfilled so that what needed to be accomplished would be accomplished in his life. When was the last time that you were with God alone and you were crying out to him? 
When was the last time you bawled your face off in his presence because you didn't know what to say and didn't have the right eloquent words to describe yourself, but you just knew that you needed more of his presence and his stirring in your life? When was the last time you had that ugly cry where your makeup, if you're wearing any, is running down your face? And, but you don't care what you look like. You don't care to be undignified. You don't care what other people think. That's the kind of prayer life that fuels and rekindles the fire of God's presence in our life. And that's what Jesus modeled. Psalm 18, David says, in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry came to him. Jeremiah 33, you know this, but I want you to hear this. Call on me in prayer. That's not sitting back in our lazy boy with our coffee and just going, oh, Jesus, I could use some things in my life. That's getting on your knees and on your face and calling on him like, God, if you don't come through, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's next. I don't know what is going to happen next. But if you're not with me, if you're not leading this, if you're not giving me vision and wisdom and strength and power, then the whole thing is going to fall apart. God, I need you. That's what it means to call on the name of the Lord not to use the right doctrinal words, as fine as those are, but to approach him with fervent intensity. That's how Jesus modeled prayer. That's how Jesus asked the Father for things in his own life. I would submit to you that very rarely does that kind of prayer just sort of happen as you're going about your day. That's the kind of prayer that is cultivated when you actually take time to be before the Father. When you allow your day and your schedule and your life to be interrupted by regular rhythms of prayer. Acts 4, 23. We're a bit further on after Pentecost. Peter has healed a man in the synagogue and that was in a prayer service, coincidentally, that he healed someone. He gets in trouble, arrested, um, told by the religious leaders that you can't speak or preach in the name of Jesus. Um, they get flogged, whipped, and then released what do they do? The very first thing they do, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers up in some upper room in a house, locked away in private. And he told them what the leading priests and elders had said when they heard the report. All the believers, every one of them, lifted their voices together in prayer to God. fighting through the awkwardness of what that would have sounded like or felt like what that experience would have been like. Can you imagine how beautiful it would be if we could get over ourselves here 
just a little bit, how beautiful it would be if you felt released even in this context to cry out to God for the things that you need in your life together. They lifted their voices together in prayer. Verse 29, this, they had this long prayer. It's the longest one recorded in the New Testament. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. So we want the after this prayer result without the before this prayer commitment. We love, like we love that idea. God, would you do this and that and the other thing and everything, but I, but I, but I don't really want to be inconvenienced here. I don't really want to show up to another prayer meeting at church, certainly. I'm not sure if I'm willing to give you some of the best time of my day, but I really want the after this prayer part. And somehow we think that we can live in that reality without paying the price that they paid in prayer. So God calls us to be fervent. Prayer that's characterized by humility, brokenness, and desperation. That kind of prayer. There is nothing unusual about that. There's nothing awkward or weird. That's not a distraction in this moment. If you really knew the heart of God for you, for your kids and your family, if you really did, You'd be done with all of this formality, playing nice church Christian. So what characterizes your prayer life? Is it characterized by humility and brokenness and desperation? Would you take the risk that she has in front of a whole bunch of people you don't know in order to just be real and authentic with the living God who sees and knows anyway? All the stuff that is weighing on you, the burdens you're carrying, the, the areas of bondage and the, the struggles and the pain that you face, he knows it all already anyway. What he's inviting you and I to is to break through our pride and our self-righteousness and come to him in humility and in brokenness to be the kind of church that's not embarrassed to be real and authentic before the living God. What kind of questions are you asking Jesus? I wanna to submit to you a few that might be helpful. First question while you're with him, while you've taken time out, is there anything blocking my ability to hear you, Jesus? 
Is there anything going on in my life, any area of sin, any way that I've grieved you, any spiritual principality or power or, or um, reality that is blocking my ability to hear you? Is there anything going on that I'm not aware of that is inhibiting my ability to hear you and to be led by you in my life? That's question one. Question two, Jesus, what is it you most want to tell me right now? What do I need to hear from you? I have all of my plans. I've got my lists of prayer requests. I have all of these needs, everything. Uh, I know what's going on in my life, but Jesus, what I want first before anything else that's on my list, my to-do list, what I want first is to hear from you. What is it you most want to speak to me right now? I'm willing to lay down everything that I've come to you with. I'm willing to lay down all of my expectations. I'm willing to lay down all of my plans, uh, the things I'm worried about, the things I'm stressed about. But what I need is to hear for what is most important to you and on your heart, Jesus. Question three. Jesus, why is that important? Why do you want to speak that to me? Why are you bringing this to my attention? Question four, is there anything I need to know then right now about that? Stopping and being led by the Spirit, rekindling that flame of his presence requires that we stop. We ask him, and we listen. We need to hear from him before we move forward. And there's so many stories about that. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward and we're gonna sing a song to close. We've already sang it today. I just wanna leave you with this additional thought. As a church, even in this season, we're stopping you know, Pastor Spencer officially was done last week. We feel that God has prophetically said, I'm, I'm bringing you into a new season, which will require a new wineskin, but you don't have the full picture yet. That's what Jesus is saying to us. And to me, he's saying, Andrew, you and yourself do not possess everything you need in order to fully understand what I want to do. Literally, he's saying, don't trust yourself, Andrew. You need to, to enter into this as a church. You need to stop, stop your planning for 2023, stop your bright ideas, as good as they may be. You need to stop and you need to ask me a few key questions. And that questions, those four questions are questions we're asking Jesus as a whole church. And I wanna invite you into that. That's why we're gonna meet to pray next week at six before worship night so that we can practice what we preach as a church. And here's why. We need to recalibrate ourselves as a, as a family, as a body together. Because Jesus said the greatest and most defining characteristic of the church would be that it would be a house of prayer. And we've done such a bad job at that. We press through in moments and we try in fits and spurts. 
But Jesus said the defining characteristic, his defining desire for us who are gathered here would be that we are a house of prayer. Matthew 21, Jesus says, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer. That is while Jesus has entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? We are now the living embodiment of the temple of God. And the Spirit of God does not want to contest with all of the other things we're bringing into the temple. And every one of those merchants that was sitting there had every right to say, whoa, I'm supposed to be here. How are people gonna bring a sacrifice uh, if they've had to walk from so far and they haven't been able to bring their own lamb or their own goat? I've gotta sell it to them. And what about all these people that are coming with money from these different countries? They need to have their money exchanged so that they can have the right currency to buy what they need to buy. The, those temple people were there for a reason and they were invited there. They weren't being dishonest. Particularly, they, what they were doing was not wrong in their eyes. Every one of them would have said, no, 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 I'm necessary for the growth of the church. I'm necessary, my strategies are needed in the life of the church. We need to be all about all of these things that Jesus said, but you're forgetting the main thing, that you can have every strategy you want. You can have the, the, the greatest vision presentation and 64, kind of points to how you're going to reach the world. But if you're not a house of prayer, none of it matters. If you aren't defined by the kind of fervent prayer we're talking about, the kind that Jesus modeled, then you've got nothing. These were the people that said, I'm needed to keep the church going. In his book, Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire, Jim Cimbala says this, does the Bible ever say anywhere from Genesis to Revelation, my house shall be called a house of preaching? Does it ever say my house shall be called a house of music? Of course not. The Bible does say my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, preaching, music, the reading of the word, these things are fine. I believe and in practice, I practice all of them, Jim says, but they must never override prayer as the defining mark of God's dwelling. The honest truth is that I have seen God do more in a person's life during 10 minutes of real prayer than 10 of my sermons. And he says this, God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him. If you wanna rekindle the fire of God's presence, you need to be a house of prayer. And this church needs to be filled with people 
who are houses of prayer so that this place can be a house of prayer. We can't be a house of prayer by planning and structure alone by programming it. We will only be a house of prayer when our people become houses of prayer, people of prayer, people willing to pay a cost to meet with the King of Kings who gave his only son so that we could be reunited to him. Presence always comes with a cost. I don't want as a church us to be known as a place with great worship or good teaching or great outreach. I would love us to be known as people who know what it means to call on the name of the Lord, to cry out for him, to join together, to call on his name for those that are hurting and those who need healing and those who need restoration and those who need freedom to call on his name, to break through division in the church, to call on his name, to break through anger and frustration and all of the things that separate us. We need people who are willing to pay the price for what it means to be rekindled and reignited with God's presence, to stir his holy fire in us. So my final question to you, and why don't we stand together, is what have you cluttered your life with that is choking out the oxygen needed for the Spirit's presence? I'm not saying that in a condemning way. I'm actually asking, and I would just ask even Holy Spirit right now, would you put your finger on different areas of our lives that, that, that even if we don't realize it, that are choking out the oxygen needed for the Spirit's presence to be a flame in us. Lastly, this kind of life is not for spiritual elites or for pastors. This can be your life, your defining characteristic as a follower of Jesus, as a father, a mother, a brother, sister, classmate, work colleague, volunteer at the church, whatever it is. This is not for just a few, this is for everyone. And this can't be learned through my teaching. You have to actually do it. That's what I want to call you to. I want to speak to your heart and to your spirit even right now and call your spirit to walk in step with the Holy Spirit of God. I want to call you into activity in the kingdom. You cannot intellectually learn this. You must learn this by doing. I'm calling you to a new reality in the kingdom.
Our world needs men and women who are lit with the flame and the fire of God's presence. Your family needs a father and mother who are walking, ignited by the presence of God. I wanna just invite you, if that is something you genuinely would like, you don't need to want that today. I wanna invite you to come to the front and we're gonna sing just this chorus together. And I wanna just invite you in your own words as we're singing to just call out to God and to ask Him to rekindle the flame of His presence in your life. So if you want, just come right to the front, fill this whole front area if you want, come right up to the stage here. Father, as we sing this, we just recognize, I, I don't even know what to say. But Holy Spirit, we need you. We cannot manage our lives our own. And the spiritual fire has gone out in way too many of us. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you in your power and in your presence, would you meet your people even right now? We are crying out to you. I wanna just invite you to sing this, pray this, use this as a chance to just call out to God. It doesn't matter who's beside you. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're, you're being loud. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Jesus, we need you. I want to just invite you, even as we begin to sing, just you start praying. You can pray out loud too. It's okay. Break through that insecurity. Break through that pride. Break through that religious sort of straitjacket that you may find yourself in and just begin to cry out to God for the stuff that only He can do in your life. He's the only one that can bring healing and restoration. He's the only one who has the strategies and the vision from heaven for your life. He's the only one who knows you the way that he intended you to be. He's the one who knits you in your mother's womb. He's the one who has measured out every step of your life, every day of your life. He's the only one who knows what you need. He's the one who knows the deep levels of your frustration and disappointment and pain. He knows what you've been walking through. He knows all of it and his desire is to meet you in that place of brokenness, in that place of suffering, in that place of humility, in that place of desperation. He's not intimidated by that. He's not embarrassed by you. He's not embarrassed by any of those things. He knows full well that his invitation is to let go of what other people think, to let go of religious sort of practice and, and to enter his presence in a new way, to just let your guard down and express your heart to him in a way that maybe you never have before. Jesus, we need you. We need you in our lives. We need you in our families. We need you. Father, we need you in our areas.